Osiris. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. You're listening to The Show on the Road, a new podcast where I interview songwriters, band leaders, and musicians from around the world. My name is Zach Lubiton. The Show on the Road is sponsored by Nomad, the tech accessory company that specializes in high-quality leather and ruggedly engineered accessories, batteries, cases, and cords that keep your gizmos charged, protected, and ready to rock. I'm currently using their Kevlar fiber iPhone cable and mobile power pack, and they saved me on a long flight to Europe recently. They're super sweet. Not only do Nomad's products look awesome, they're built to last. And this is pretty cool too. Their leather products come from the historic Horween Tannery in my hometown of Chicago, the same place that makes the leather on NBA's basketballs. Go to www.hellonomad.com BGS and put in the discount code BGS to receive 15% off until the end of January. Try getting your friends holiday gifts they will actually use. Nomad, designed for adventure. This week in the show, my conversation with Mike Miranda and Ruth Unger of The Mammals. While people might not be as familiar with them on the West Coast, this husband and wife powerhouse duo, also known as Mike and Ruthie, are upstate New York roots royalty. And after a 10-year hiatus where they toured as a duo and had two of the cutest kids I've ever seen, they got the squad back together and the mammals were back on the road. Known for their devoted activism and big-hearted protest songs about climate change and clean energy, these guys show how songs can really make a difference. Do these guys play footstop and old-time music? Yes, they do, but they also write hooks, hooks, hooks. I'm telling you, the title track of their newest record, Sunshiner, kind of been in my head for about six months. I'm told they have a brand new single out too, so check it out. Okay, here they are, The Mammals. I'm here with Mike and Ruthie of The Mammals. Hi guys. Hey Zach. Can you uh, introduce yourselves and tell our listeners what you play? Sure. My name's Mike Miranda. I, I grew up in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm a songwriter first and foremost. I play the guitar, the banjo, and uh, most recently some harmonica. Sweet. Yeah. I'm Ruth Unger, and I sing and play fiddle and a little bit of guitar and an even littler bit of banjo and sometimes a ukulele. And uh, my dad is Jay Unger. He's also a fiddle player that a lot of people know. So um, I grew up in the Hudson Valley, New York. That's where you guys are still based, right? Yeah, we live in the house that I grew up in, and my dad's our landlord. Does he ever get on you about rent? (laughs) No. Only lowering it. <laughs> yeah, he lowered it one time, yeah. <laughs> We're very best <laughs> landlord ever. Yeah, I don't know if we could exist if it wasn't for that particular <laughs> arrangement. Is that And that's where uh, the mammals formed? We actually formed in western Massachusetts, oh, okay. right? We're, yeah, well, we lived in the city when Mike and I met. We moved the up city being New York City. New York City, yeah, yeah. that was the only one, yeah, for yeah. us. We call it that, sorry. <laughs> we moved up state, no, we moved up to western Massachusetts, and met Tao Rodriguez Seeger there, and uh, and then related to Pete. Yes, grandson, one of the grandsons of Pete. And then when we all kind of moved back into the Hudson Valley, it was like a year later. What so, year was that? Oh one. I think I think it was oh one. You know, t- 
Tao Seeger grew up in Beacon, New York. Well, as a teenager, I guess he really grew up in Nicaragua. He always used to talk about, but he's he lived with Pete and Toshi in Beacon, and Ruthie grew up about an hour north of there in Woodstock. So you guys knew each other sort of peripherally just through the folk circuit, I guess, both having families in the business. Uh, I met Tao uh, in Western Mass. I was working the counter at an instrument shop called Fretted Instrument Workshop in Amherst, Mass. And like Ruthie said, we left New York City. Ruth's mom was living in uh, Western Mass. She got me the gig uh, at the instrument shop, and Tao came in on a day where the boss was out, and we swapped songs for a while. And one thing led to another, and we started a band called The Mammals. I guess it was 2001. I think that, yeah. It started in 2000, then we moved back to New York in 01. It's a little hazy. Yeah. Seems a little bit like a, you know, at the time, these things seemed like real epic periods of time. And then you look back and it was only a few months we were really in Massachusetts. <laughs> I mean, you know how the Northeast is. It's also tight knit. <laughs> Did you guys fall in love playing music together or was that something that happened within the band? Well, we actually, when we met in New York City, we were just, just out of college and he was the new roommate uh, Mike was the new roommate of some of my college friends and we were all theater people where'd you go to school I went to Bard College and uh, and so a bunch of my Bard theater friends were like oh you gotta meet our new roommate Mike he plays guitar and sings songs and I had pretty low expectations he's honestly. super dreamy <laughs> exactly well being that my parents are folk musicians I, I don't know I it's kind of a snob about Another songs. Another guitar player. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whoop do you do? But then I met him, and I was like kind of impressed. And I started singing harmony on his songs, and, and that's really when I started writing songs and being a musician because I didn't want to be a musician. I grew up with musicians. I was like over that. I want to be an actress. I thought that would be a great idea, and it was super fun. But it's the only crappier job there is out there. That's an easier. It's an easier road being an actor, right? <laughs> yeah, Said right. No one ever. <laughs> Said no one ever. <laughs> Said no one ever. Yeah, exactly. So there was a moment when I was like, wow, maybe like maybe I should try this music thing. Plus, I think I was actually better at the music thing than the acting thing, even though I worked so hard at that for years. I the the music thing is more like rolling off a log or something. I just I could just do it without. It, as it's much interesting. Effort. I've had a couple husband wife duos on this show uh-huh. <laughs> in this young young show it <laughs> seems to be like a thing that right. kind of brings people together but I, I'm curious do you feel when you're writing still that you're still trying to impress her a little bit oh yeah she's a pretty tough <laughs> tough critic <laughs> I mean I, it's funny I did some very rare solo shows just this past January under the the billing of Ruthless Mike because we pretty much played together for like 19 years. For like the last 19 years. So occasionally we step out as solo entities, very rarely. But I did this one song that uh, I actually wrote for Ruthie. I guess you could call it a love song. But I remember when I first played it for her, she had no interest in it at all. Yeah, so there's many <laughs> what song are you talking about? Uh, what is it called? That was all I was ever waiting for, is what it's called. I remember you sort of you sort of rolled your eyes at yeah. See, listen, corny. she has no interest. A little corny, but it's you know, sweet. But, but it actually works when you're not I'm there sorry. because I can preface it with this introduction. This is a love song I wrote for Ruthie that she she rejected <laughs> from the set. That's <laughs> a good setup for. for hey, song. when I like a song, you know I really. Well, that's like exactly it. right. No, I, I know that's the thing about Ruthie. She's a straight shooter. She's not gonna. Uh, she's not gonna. She's not gonna let something fly that that isn't up to a certain standard. How do your songs come together? 
Um, well, you know, from when I met Mike, like in the city back then, and we were, he, he had a million songs. He was very prolific, you know, and I started writing one or two a year or something. So we're, we're on a different track in that way. So, um, Mike will write, you know, 50 songs and then, you know, five or 10 of those will like really emerge as like real parts of our repertoire together. And sometimes I'll develop one with him, like. I'll, I'll write the bridge or change one word in one verse or something like that. We're, um, we're I think, fantastic song finishers for each other. We yeah. generally work on our own and then present it yeah. to the other. And then uh, that person offers their usually brilliant je ne sais quoi. Like the, uh, the best example is we have a song called Kiss the Break of Day from an early mammals record. And when it, I originally wrote it, it was a little cheesier. It was, you know... We'll kiss at break of day, which is very generic. Ruth's like, well, what if it was we kiss the break of day? <laughs> and we'll, you know, stay up all night and kiss the break of day. That's, I'd never heard that before. And that was Ruthie's. A little poetry right there. Right. I'm glad he remembers that because I don't remember that, but I, I'll take credit. Things like that. Or like, you know, this song really should have a bridge. You should have worked a little harder on it. So she'll <laughs> knock a bridge out. Things like that. Do you guys, do you, when you start a song, is, do you start with lyrics first or chords first? I try and go a whole hog with both. I find that my best songs are born together musically and lyrically. What about you? I think I'm the same. So we have that in common. I often write them in my head without an instrument, though. Mike's always holding an instrument. And, you know, he, he writes a song when I go grocery shopping or, like, take the kids somewhere. And Sometimes he's all too. by himself. Yeah. And me, I write, like, in a crowd, like, <laughs> weirdly, like, in my head. Or I write when I'm driving or walking. Mm. And, like, especially driving the Sprinter van with, like, seven people behind me asleep. Uh-huh. And like in traffic, like that's when I'll write a song. <laughs> I'm inspired by stuff going by me <laughs> and and the weird sensation of like people around. Do you remember when you first started writing when you were was it when you were a kid? Yeah, for me, it was very specific. I wasn't raised in a, a super musical family, but I um, I fell in with some really cool friends who were into music. One dude in particular, his name's Chris Weissman, and your listeners should look him up okay uh, it's w-e-i-s-m-a-n he was the new kid in town i was in middle school at the time there was a guitar in the house that my uncle had given me and my brother just banged around for years um collecting dust and i met this kid chris weisman i guess we were i mean how old are you at that age when you're in like sixth grade or seventh grade 12 yeah, yeah. 12. so i was like what do they call it i was a tween <laughs> <laughs> and chris weisman came over to the house and he knew how to play guitar. He showed me a C, an F, and a G. I guess technically F major 7 because I couldn't quite do that bar with my tender 12-year-old fingers. Where was your childhood home? This was Durham, New Hampshire. Okay. It's where UNH is, College mm-hmm. Town. Anyway, uh, I mean, lightning just ran through my body at that moment that I had, someone had given me these keys, like the key to this world that I could now access. I loved the radio and like pop songs. And I was a kid with like, hold a hockey stick up and pretend it was a mic stand as a little kid and sing songs like when no one was watching. But all of a sudden I could make songs with, with those three chords. And that very night I wrote three songs with those chords. I mean, silly songs, three chords and the truth. Yeah, buddy. And (laughs) I always say this, that, that incredible, uh, thrill of having that power. It's like a high, you know? Yeah. That's what I've been chasing ever since that first night, I, I still connect to that, that feeling of creating something out of nothing or from inside, getting it out. 
um, and exploring whatever that is, you know, and I, my favorite way to start a song is from nowhere to just grasp at what's in the air with the guitar. And I feel like my best songs aren't premeditated at all. They just appear, hoist the antenna, you know. And you? (laughs) (laughs) Moi? Um, wow. Do I, was, what was it? Do I remember my first songwriting experience? I mean, I, because I was so into theater um, and not even really musical theater, because I believed as a youngish, you know, upstart and maybe still believe that the best music and the best theater are not necessarily in musical theater. <laughs> Although I still like musical theater, but um, I don't know. I was I was just stay. I was be, like forcing myself away from music. And then every once in a while, there'd be a play where there was a singing part or my senior year at Bard, we had to work on auditioning techniques because we were going into the world and we had to do a classical monologue, a modern monologue, and a song. And I remember classmates of mine just dreading the song portion because um, we hadn't trained for that, you know. But I was kind of psyched and I sang I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry and my teacher looked at me like, what, what just happened? Like, Wow, she's like, I wish you could do what you're just doing right there when you're doing your monologue. <laughs> and that really ticked me off because <laughs> I, I really liked acting and stuff. And I was like, whatever, the song is nothing. But then I moved to the city. I did a play called Danny in the Deep Blue Sea. It was really cool. It was like this off-off-Broadway thing with my friend directing it. And for my acting homework, I wrote sort of a song with these verses of, what my character has was going through like before each act of the play and um again it was sort of to me a throwaway like just like an exercise but I kind of liked the song so I sang it for the director after the show and again got that look of like whoa um this is what you're supposed to be doing yeah like what what you can do this like like ah and that was it I didn't need to be told a third time I just sort of like <laughs> hung up the acting thing and just kept going because that song I mean, that song got covered by some friends of ours. I don't know if you know the band The Ducks Uh from Canada. D-U-H-K-S? Yes. They covered that song like many years later. And I got like a royalty check right in time for us to take three months off when we had our first kid. I was like, wow, it's just amazing how that works. That song that, you know, I didn't even mean to write. And it started me on this whole new path. Guess you're going to be in the family business. (laughs) Exactly. What's funny about Ruthie is when we met, like she just said, she she was not interested in pursuing music at all and yet living in this tiny shoebox apartment in hell's kitchen she had a gibson guitar and a fiddle i mean why would you have those things <laughs> with you in a tiny where space is such a premium if you had no intention of using them i don't know i guess i felt i had to carry them around as like talismans of my of my yeah. people yeah <laughs> even though i really didn't know how to play the guitar and and my fiddle strings were so black that when i did pull it out that year my fingers turned black, and I realized that maybe I should get some new strings. So, and before we started the Mammals, and before we started a duo, we had a band called Rheingold with our friend Carter Little, who now lives in Nashville, and he's a music supervisor. In fact, his big project recently was the sound-breaking documentary, uh, eight-part series, I think came out on PBS this last year. So that's what he's doing. He's sort of off the performing stage, but still very much involved in music. And he was really my first uh he provided an introduction into 
any sort of roots music for me because I was more of a rock and roll kid or, you know, Bob Dylan was probably the closest I came to any sort of folk music. I didn't know about Pete and Woody as a kid or Hank Williams. I had no interest in any sort of like American roots. I was more into like that music via Led Zeppelin, that music via Bob Dylan, that music, you know, via the 60s. Ani. Well, Ani DeFranco definitely rocked my world pretty hard. Um, but even her, while I love what she does and how she performs and what she puts into her work, I never heard the deep traditional roots in her music. To me, even though she calls herself the little folk singer, and by all means, she, she is tiny. She gets up on stage and she's <laughs> tiny and she tells it like it is and she tells stories and she performs uh, the way a folk singer presents their work. Yeah. She's more of a rock and roller her musically you know what I mean but I just meant that she introduced you to like Utah Phillips because well, yeah. she put out that collection and stuff so all yeah, these different true. ways that you got the old old guys the, the old Utah <laughs> Phillips was maybe my first like old guy with a white beard who was just like <laughs> as as grassroots um left-wing storytelling you know uh yeah. prophet as it comes yeah. is there one record that you can think of both of you that was this springboard was a trampoline for you to say, like, if I could create music, I would create music like that? Well, when we met, we were listening to a lot of Richard Buckner. And to me, that was a springboard of, oh, this is really beautiful and cool and original. But I, every once in a while, hear this little, little shuffle and fiddle in the background or this honking vocal quality that remind me of Jenny Hawker or, or um, Alice Gerard or somebody like I'm going I know this guy <laughs> has something going on like that's connected to the stuff I grew up with and yet all these people who have no idea about traditional music are like are into him and I am you know I don't know so I feel like Devotion and Doubt Richard Buckner I'm going to hold that one up. Especially for the two of us. It's like a crossover moment of like, wow, we could do something original that also taps into that thing that people look at me and say, do that. <laughs> and for me, I'm, I'm sort of forever chasing the first 10 Bob Dylan records. <laughs> they, they, Only the first 10. <laughs> Once it goes 11, it's just like, was that like National Skyline? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. After the motorcycle I, I just picked a nice base 10 round number. But those early Dylan records just... They hit all the touchstones of, of uh, what I'm chasing. You know, is there a show that you remember seeing growing up that made you want to be a musician? Well, like Ruthie said, Ani DeFranco rocked my world pretty hard. It was because she's sort of like. That's interesting for a guy. You usually you don't hear it from it's Mike. Guys. Mike is special. I love the way that he's in tune to his feminine voice. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think if like. Uh, if I had like on this tour, <laughs> I will forever be called ma'am by strangers on the phone. And we had our stereo <laughs> in our van died on this tour. And I called up the stereo guys in Kansas City and I just wanted to check on the directions. Yada, yada. Are you guys on State Street? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I will forever be ma'am to strangers on the phone. And it probably does translate into my singing voice as well. <laughs> and your appreciation of music. Well, but anyway, Ani DeFranco, <laughs> the way she, she um, the way she holds the space in a theater mm. is like no one else. The way she, not even so much the songs, which there are many great songs. It's what happens between the songs. That is what I wanted to learn how to do, how to connect to people and talk to people and create a community instantaneously. 
I remember all the girls in my high school had righteous babe patches mm. on their jackets. Yeah. Cool. Well, that was inspiring too. I think in this day and age, it's sort of old hat to start your own label and self-release a record, but it wasn't as common back in the in the late. Do 90s. you guys have a label? We do. We What's do. it called? It's Humble called. abode music. Yeah, because it all happens out of the house <laughs> at the kitchen table. Yeah. I think we should segue into the next weird part of this interview. Because you said he's different than other people. <laughs> if you could describe the other person as a superhero, mm. what would they be called and what would their powers be? Setlist man. <laughs> <laughs> he has the power to craft the perfect set list. It's a good talent. I've never written a set list for us in 19 years, and I... I have great appreciation for that. It might sound like a little thing, but remember making mixtapes? And uh, mm-hmm. it's all about the flow, you know? You got to come out kind of either guns blazing or ease into it. And then you got to go somewhere else after that. Do you change it up on the fly or do you stick to it? We will change it up on the fly. Yeah, sometimes. Maybe. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah, I've been that person on stage being like, ooh, let's do this. But most of the time, um, Mike also will not make it very far ahead of time, much to the chagrin of our like new bandmates who are like trying to study up because he'll have to walk into a room and like feel the room That's what I do. before he's going to write a set list. Yeah. Yeah. How can you know until you're there? <laughs> exactly. I don't know what I'm going to wear until I look at the room either. Yeah. So it's the same. I don't know if that's the well, same. There's, but a, there's a lot of moving parts in our music as well. Yeah. And it's, it's like we're one part old time string band, one part Motown band, the Dylan influence. What is the instrumentation of the mammals? Uh, right now it's, well, Ruthie and I collectively play acoustic guitar, fiddle, clawhammer, banjo, ukulele, harmonica. So those are sort of like the roots elements. And then there's drum set, electric bass, and organ. Sometimes there's a pedal steel player, but uh, I think the organ is so versatile, keyboards in general, and because we tend to bounce around genre-wise, um, having a keyboard player has been really wonderful yeah that's pretty great also on this tour we have five strong singers so there's been a lot of wonderful uh you know a special five part i want to say voices a set list man here um not only makes a good set list and playlist and you know mixtape or whatnot but we host a festival back home called the hoot it's the winter hoot and the summer hoot and he curates the festival it's kind of the same thing only it's like an entire band after band after band where it has to flow. You have to have it, a different balance or different energies or genders or vibes or genres. And, and the whole day flows, you know, and I don't know how he does it. It's like a, it's a Zen she, practice. She keep him around. <laughs> super useful talents. All right. What would her superhero name be? Uh, I don't know if I could think of like a clever name, but she's like, um, like, what would it be? Ruthie has this this gift of um, cracking people open so they feel things that maybe they didn't know they were going to feel. And I can't tell you how many times someone approaches me after a show and says, you made me laugh, you made me cry, you made me shiver. Uh, That's something we do, but really it's something Ruthie does. I mean, Ruthie can make them cry. So is there a clever superhero identity to, to cry woman, emotion girl? The Weeper. The Weeper. <laughs> Something I wish, if I think of it later, you can you can edit it in and I'll sound a lot smarter. She really gets people to open well, up. Well, my, mom, my mom's such a country singer. Lynn Hardy is my mom's name. She, uh, you know, she just, she loves songs that make her cry. We, we would always like 
cry at movies together and stuff. My dad, Jay Unger, plays fiddle and people. A lot of people know his song, his tune, Ashokan Farewell, that was the theme of the PBS Civil War series by Ken Burns. And that tune is just played at, you know, countless funerals and weddings, happy and sad occasions where people cry. I mean, that tune, I've seen it make dogs cry. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't matter, man. Our fiddle player, Connor. Yeah has played that at at least 10 weddings <laughs> this yeah. summer alone. Yeah, right. well, no, yeah. seriously, it's, it's cool, that common thread of meeting people who play the fiddle, most classical or not, you know, people know that tune. And um, But I guess I'm just saying it's in my DNA to, um, to make people cry. Well, there's something about that a cappella <laughs> song you do, My Baby Drinks Water, that is uh, kind of gets your heart moving sometimes thank like inside you, you. yeah and, thanks and i kind of want you to read uh, the lyrics of the verse um the measure your wealth by the size of your purse okay yeah yeah that's my that's as as, as mean as i get in the song uh do you measure your wealth by the size of your purse what size is your coffin what size is your hearse what size is your heart if you put money first, high over the children and their hunger and thirst? So you guys have, you know, a pretty open, political, socially aware stance, sure. which I think a lot of bands are too chicken shit to have most of the time, myself included. <laughs> and I feel like having now seen you a little bit um, play live, I think you guys have a really nice subtle way of getting your point across thanks i don't know if you saw the mammals in the old days but we were less subtle uh-huh. <laughs> we we've we've learned a little bit you think it's more effective to be subtle well let's see you know i'm, I'm i think it's worth seeing that you know that song my baby drinks water um i tried actively to write a song that you really couldn't argue with i mean that verse i just read you is a bunch of questions so I'm well, still asking questions. I'm not telling you the facts only, you know, except for my baby drinks water, my baby drinks tea, which that's a fact and you can't argue with it either. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where, um, you know, the best po- politics is just like a part of life. And, and when in the old days we would have some types of things where folks would show up and say, we came to this festival had to have a good time, not to think about real life and stuff going on in the war and this and that you know and fair enough you know sometimes people want to just cut loose and like they're doing in the hallway right here and not really uh think you know so we try to combine in a show like our heaviest tune is followed by an instrumental so people get to jump up and down Mm. and uh shake it off you know it's it it, we got to balance it it off (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think i think balance is big you know. Well, the the ending line of that tune has the you know, spare the water for my little ones and me, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's this feeling of of the lack of empathy that comes from people in power. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. don't you understand mm-hmm. how this is going to affect me and my kids? And you guys tour with your kids, right? Yeah. And um, do you feel like we're going in the right direction? Like, where do you think things will be when they're your age in this country? Oh, I, I, I have a lot of fears about that, I must say. But to me, we hope to show them, our kids and anybody else watching, that 
that if you kind of, as Mike says in one of his songs, your body's your ballot and you cast it every day. You know, if you're in the moment and you're, as Pete Seeger used to say, you know, the teaspoon brigade, there's a seesaw with a boulder way on the other end. And it seems like there's no way that that you could affect change. But with all these folks with their teaspoons filling the basket on this side with little spoonfuls of sand, one day, whoop, it just flips over the right way. And I, I mean, I don't mean to make it black and white. There's right and wrong. But I'm fighting for common ground with people who disagree with me on one thing and can agree with me on another. I'm, I'm fighting for just some shred of empathy, like you said, or humanity or some kind of connection to people who might disagree with me on a few issues. And, and do we have to all disagree on everything? You know, can we find one, <laughs> one shred of connection? It's, it seems worth it to me. And I, I think we're not the only ones doing this. You know, it's, it's getting better. Well, you prefaced your song, uh, Sunshiner, which is the title track of your new record. Which it comes out April twentieth. Mm-hmm. Well played. You gonna smoke some reefer when it comes out? <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> um, no, one, no one's gonna remember our, our release date. <laughs> um, in light of that, your album comes out four twenty. Yes. <laughs> what is the most psychedelic moment you've had in your life, whether on drugs or not? What is the most out-of-body, psychedelic, <laughs> transcendent moment that you can think of right now? No one has ever asked me that, and I feel like my my whole tripped-out life just flashed before my eyes trying to figure out the right thing, but uh, I'd have to say giving birth. Totally, uh, totally mind-bending experience. So you, uh, you gave birth that... I One did. Time. I did twice. I did that twice. I think, um, you know, the first time I had taken these classes in something called hypnobirthing, which sounds really hippied out. And um, I did take these classes in Woodstock, New York, where we live. But all it is is kind of some common sense stuff. Like I learned that if you are in a coma, you will give birth meaning your body is going to do it. And someone's going to email me and tell me that's not right. But It's like muscle memory from a memory you've actually never had? Mm-hmm. Maybe, yeah. Or maybe just that it's like, you know, your heart beating or, you know, digesting food or, you know, it's a little different than that. But it's all these things that are in some way involuntary that are going on. And if you can actually get your mind out of the way, which is true in so many things in life, right? You know, get your critic out of the way if you're writing a song or get your worrying out of the out of your mind if you're trying to do just about anything so I, I had to do this you know deep uh mind removal type exercise <laughs> that was really wonderful and and then you know the time came to actually give birth and there's no way anyone can really prepare you for that but I was I, I feel like I was as w- well prepared as I could have hoped to have been and he was born pretty darn quick and um and that worked out really well and then you know now our family has grown we, we've done it again the second time I was confident enough to do it at home um and so Opal our daughter was born in our house 
And uh, once again, I got to, you know, it's it, stronger than any drug, like the what's released in your body, you know. Uh, there's a lot of that mind-erasing chemical that makes you feel like you could do it again. You know, they tell you that. Do you think you try <laughs> to capture that out-of-body experience in a song? Like, is it possible? That's a really cool uh, question. You know, nobody's ever asked me that either. I would say um, a little bit, you know, the hypnosis training and then the just, like I said, that removal of um, the obstacle brain, you know, and letting the creative and instinctive go to work and do the thing they know how to do. I like that, you know. It's like... They say that training as far as like acting or, you know, technique on your instrument or any kind of vocal training, it's there so that you don't have to use it. Like, you know, it's just there to be in you, you know, you're not supposed to be on stage, like actively doing an exercise you learn necessarily. It's just like then you can drop it and just do your thing and be. We're now going to do a thing where we explore your creative minds. Great. A little bit. First thing that comes to your mind when I say spaceship. Enterprise. David Bowie. 2058. Old folks home. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Folk festival. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be right where I am. Throw a folk festival at the old folks, though. <laughs> <laughs> what, is that 40 years from now? I don't know. I wasn't <laughs> counting too good. Yeah. All right. Take out the trash. Why does Ruthie always leave the trash bag by the door instead <laughs> of getting it the extra 10 feet to the can? That part is totally your job. I do that, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nick of time. Bonnie Raitt. Sound check. Underpants. Opal June Miranda. <laughs> Um, I was thinking of that annoying ad that keeps popping up in my social media feed for those period underwear. What? They, they think I need. They don't send that to you, but the women out there know what I'm talking about. Wait, it's is it like a pad in the underwear? It, it's it's sort of underwear in that supposedly require no pad. It's just undies that take care of the whole thing. That's advertising really. That's it's really working. It's working. It comes right into your brain. It came right into my brain. I also thought about the fact that our 10-year-old is sometimes looking at me while I'm like going through my feed and he's like, ah, because like, you know. I also really someone like that. In their underwear. Uh, there's that great magnetic field song called Underwear. Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorites. A pretty girl in her underwear. It's a good song. You better resume to jump for joy. Who cares? <laughs> All right. Last one. <laughs> Victory. Lap. Uh, let's just go all out and say humanity. Wow. Expand. Expand on that. On his, I imagine. On, on that? Yeah. I mean, I think there, there's an awful lot at stake in the times that we're living in. I mean, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but I think we're at a breaking point where we can choose to um, heed the warning or not. And I think the consequences are drastic. I think... Millions of people on this planet know this to be the case, but it's, we've been pretty well beaten down and dumbed down. Um, 
to believe that that's not the case. And it's a whole lot to swallow when you think about it. So, in other words, there's a lot of denial, and um, and that's how we we get through it. You know, songs, a song for five minutes, you can think and feel a whole lot that you've been stuffing down and trying not to deal with the whole rest of your day. So, hopefully, that's where we come in to uh, allow some greater expansiveness of thought and feeling that we all need to do <laughs> us included <laughs> how many shows do you play a year you think hmm. it sort of goes between 80 and 120 depending on the year depending on if we're you giving to, birth do you stick to regional tours <laughs> or do you guys we're, we're kind of go over we live in the northeast which is sort of like uh, a gift to musicians because there's so many cities within two or three hours to, to access uh, it's much different when you come. Where are we now? We're in Seattle. The cities are so much further apart out here. But I mean, we we do sort of a huge tour, one huge tour every year. Like right now, we're in the middle of what we call the Western Migration Tour. Generally, we stick to the Northeast. We have a lot of great friends in Michigan. We love to get to festivals in Michigan, and we always shoot down to Florida for the Swanee Roots revival. So there's some festival touchstones that we love to circle back and play. But generally, the Northeast has been really good to us, and it's our home. Um, so that's the brunt of our touring. If you could describe your fans, if you could <laughs> describe your fans yeah. as sort of this entity, hmm. what would you describe them as? I feel like there's like a threefold thing. There's the, there's the folks who are like our parents or even grandparents age who remember Pete Seeger and, um, really, um, love how what we're doing is a continuation of, of some of that Pete and Woody legacy. And then you have the people who are maybe been fans for a real long time who remember the original version of the mammals that had Tao Seeger in the band and, you know, were kind of like jumping around to us back then. And, um, and then I think you have some like newer, younger folks who like, I've been following more of the recent thing we've done, like more of the song craft stuff. And, 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 um, yeah, I wonder, it, it's an odd mixture. It's like a lot of, a few generations out there usually when we play shows. I mean, I don't say odd, it's a great mixture. It's a really cool mixture of, of folks. Am I right? Yeah. No. Our fans tend to, to, to love, um, songs. Right. When yeah. Push comes to shove. And like your band is similar, like you do a number of different genres that could be considered under the heading of Americana. You know, right. There's that's a big heading. Doesn't necessarily just mean one thing. And I think you can give your fans that credit that they like more than one thing, too, just like you do. So do you believe in an afterlife? No, not anywhere that's other than on this planet. I mean, I believe that we become, we go back to that. We're never really gone from here. Mm. We're here now and we'll be here for all time. And it's just one big cycle that we're part of one thing, mm. uh, just recycling into new life. Um, but I don't believe that we, in fact, I actively disagree with the idea that I think it's, um, it's, it's partly responsible for the bind that we got ourselves into thinking that there's something better waiting for us elsewhere which gives us the license to 
um, disrespect where we are right now. I think we need to double down on owning up to the fact that we need to take care of the one and only home that we know to truly be. Amen. And last weird question. If God entered this hotel room right now, what would God look like? He'd look like you. It's a lot of pressure. <laughs> or me, or um, the snowflake. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess, yeah, God's in the room. I mean, God is the room. I mean, really. My, I have an uncle who's very religious, and I, I hope for you that someday you find a great church to go to, and I just feel like I'm in it. I'm never not in it. You know, it, just because uh, I said I don't believe in the afterlife certainly doesn't mean I'm not spiritual. I mean, I exist on a spiritual plane. I try to, uh, but I try to keep it here and now. Okay, before we do the song, we're going to do the segment of the show called The Bake Off. That's just Obi and Rachel. So, to try to find the, uh, the place in your minds that split into completely different branches mm. of a tree, we're going to go from one line and in three minutes... Whatever comes to your mind, whatever comes out on the page, we're going to read aloud. <laughs> Coming from the line, the one-eyed sailor winked at the moon. Your time starts now. Okay, so uh, Ruthie, why don't you start? The one-eyed sailor winked at the moon, said, wake up, rounder, the day's coming soon. There's a griddle on high. Get your fork and spoon. And a coffee cup full of the morning's tune. Mm. Nice. Real rhymey. Yeah. That's good. You're good with spontaneous rhymey poems. <laughs> Any, like, birthday card you get from Ruthie usually has a, a poem like that. Sweet limerick. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just, my, when my son was two years old, when my son was two years old, we were outside the Whirly Bird in Eunice, Louisiana. It's a small nightclub that our friends started in their backyard. I said, Willie, look up. There's the moon. There's the man in the moon. Willie responded, head. It's not the whole man. It's just the head. Mm. I mean, <laughs> and he's right. He's right. He really, it's he, deep. he really woke me up to something new that night. He could barely talk, but he blew our minds right there. Yeah, yeah. Kind of amazing, <laughs> right? Thank you. I'm glad you see the, the beauty. Are your that. kids writing songs yet? Oh yeah, oh yeah. They'd be really mad if we sang you one though. Uh, our they, daughter Opal. They like to keep them under under wraps. Yeah, they're 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 a, a never ending uh, geyser of creativity, and yet uh, if you sing one back to them, they will plug their ears and scream and run in the other room. But if if your listeners want to hunt down what I think is <laughs> A classic. Um, on our Instagram feed, maybe on the Mike and Ruthie one. Um, Ruthie, what birthday? So, what can we? I think it's good to have the date. If it's June fifth, that's Opal's birthday. What year? We're we talking like. It would have been twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. So, if you scroll back to June fifth, twenty seventeen, <laughs> on Instagram at Mike and Ruthie, M I K E A N D R U T H Y, you'll find Opal who just got a pink Stratocaster for her birthday that day that she could care less about when she opened it. She was all wrapped up in her friends and sugar. 
we set our garage up like a little rock band setup. And, and really only the grown-ups hung out in there. There was like a, a kid drum kit. And drum set and some amps and a little vocal PA <laughs> and her little pink strat on a guitar stand. And I had it in an open tuning. And uh, around 10.30 when all of her friends had finally left and I was on the drums. I think our, our engineer, Adam Armstrong, was on the bass. And Opal finally picked up that guitar and sang a song on the spot. It told us all our parts. Um, it's called If I Had a Fever. And it's um, it's one of the finest songs I've heard. <laughs> I mean, really, I wish I could come some. What was the chorus? If I had a fever, say what? She goes, say what, da- Daddy? You say, say what? Say what? I have a fever. Say what? I have a fever. Say what? I have a fever. You know, I can't do it with half the charisma that she did with. But she just ad libs all these verses about. It's pretty catchy, right? Oh, you like it already? Oh right? man! If I had a fever. Just you know, like a couple months before that, she had like a wicked case of mono for like three weeks. So it's like it was, she wow. was you know, you write what you know. She's making out with boys too early. <laughs> Believe it or not, there are other ways you can get mono. She right? won't even give me a kiss unless I shave not once but twice in a day. She said, <laughs> I look oh I shaved. Did you shave twice? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Our son, well, his early hit was called Rock Your Face Off. Yeah. And it was uh, good. you know, I'm from New Hampshire and you know, like in, in Washington State where we are now, the, the highway signs have George Washington's profile, right? Um and we're in Utah. It's a little uh, like beehive, right? Temple thing. I, I think it's a beehive that sort of looks like the rock formations Somebody around there. Or that's what someone told me. To us what the heck anyway, in New Hampshire, it's the old the profile of the old man in the mountain. Do you, do you know this? Mm, no, was uh, it the White Rock Mountains or it, the 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 White Mountains had yeah. this uh, famous? It looked like a, a statue, but it's just a naturally forming profile of mm. a man's face called the old man of the mountain. That was our our emblem. And, uh, and one year it, it fell off you know, it's not there anymore. It, it was like our state's pride and joy as a symbol, but yeah, we read the newspaper article where they, where they refer to him as the late old man yeah. in the mountain. I mean, anyway, so when we told our, what was Willie two or three years old yeah. about this story and, you know, I, I'm very proud of my New Hampshire roots. Um, he made up a song. My brother, who's also a musician, Chris Miranda, that's right. He went on a tour called the Rock Your Face Off Tour <laughs> in New Hampshire. And uh, and that caught on with Willie. So he made up a song called yeah. Rock Your Face Off. I rock your face off when I'm playing the drums. I'm going to rock your face off. Yeah, it's brilliant. They're going to be mortified to hear this. Yeah, they're going <laughs> to hate it. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Do you think that they're going to follow in the family business? Um. It, it could go either way. I mean, you know, they both seem to be into it right now. And they, they were just busking out in the hallway, um, made $8.75 in about 15 minutes. It's better so. than minimum wage. <laughs> Seriously. Actually, no, Washington, I think, is 13 <laughs> But it was pretty cool. You know, they, they've got the bug for sure, and it's fun to watch. But I have zero expectations of them doing it or not doing it. I know how ambivalent I was about it. So it's kind of going to be interesting to see. You know, either of them would make a killer, uh, you know, there's a lot of things in our business that aren't actually playing, you know, like I feel like Willie could either be a, you know, star sax player. He just picked up the sax the other day, or maybe he's going to be like a, you know, a manager or something. He's really into numbers and, and, uh, you know, efficiency of, uh, I feel like he wants to make some money. He also is, you know, his whole thing is like, I don't know, maybe a YouTube channel or something. Opal, you know, they're not enough uh, 
female role models out there doing like certain things like playing the drums or um doing the sound or you know mm. producing albums but um she's been very encouraged in all those different directions i think which is cool so i'd like to see that we'll see you know adam who uh produced our album that we we were mentioning adam armstrong he's always he's pretty sure she's uh she's got a thing for the knobs she's gonna be crafting in the studio one day what does she call that little mix her mixing capability yeah, yeah she has a whole area in our studio which ever since age of two she refers to as her mixing capability <laughs> and uh, she also you know one time i asked her if she wanted to do down with adam when he came with us and she's like no mama I, but i don't know how which to me is the first first uh obvious reason why she should do it because she already knows that you have to know how (laughs) you know like our son would have been like sure I know how to do that but she's like aware enough of her inadequacy at such a young age I'm like no no I mean like when you learn how like someday it's okay you don't have to know yet you're five but you know it's one thing that young boys always have is an overabundance of confidence (laughs) yeah yeah she's real patient with herself too so whatever she tries you know they both have a lot of guts and it'll be fun to watch the risks and the adventures that that takes them on. She could be the lady Rick Rubin. Yeah. I'm totally down with that vision. (laughs) Should we do a a mammals song that's going to end it? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Mike's got a new song. Um, I was thinking maybe, um, Oh, what you got? A different new song. Okay. I mean, I mean, he has set list, man. So he usually knows. Um, well, which one do you feel more? I'm going to get my fiddle out and you decide. I'll just, I'll follow. Where you lead, <laughs> follow <laughs> anywhere. Is this going to be on the new record, or this is a future song? This will be a future record. Sweet. Yeah, present song, future record.
gone But I wasn't really gone I was just down there in the soil With all my grandkids trampling on There was laughing and singing There was joy and elation And I do believe that we made it Civilization. It was laughing and singing. It was joy and elation. Guys, thank you for doing this here at Wintergrass with me. This was uh, really, really awesome. And uh, I hope we get to meet out on the Great Trail sometime again soon. Thanks, Zach. It's been fun. Yeah, thanks for having us. There you have it, Mike and Ruthie of the Mammals. You can go to themammals.love for more music and their brand new single that just came out and tour dates and all that good stuff. Please support your favorite artists on the road. It's the only way we survive these days, guys. And there's a really cool uh, interview with the mammals on thebluegrasssituation.com where they talk about uh, the first thing they need if a fire breaks out in their house. Spoiler alert, it's their children. I guess they're just really nice people. They also have their own music festival. It's in upstate New York. It's really fun. It's called The Hoot. Check it out. Guys, if you're a slacker like me, you probably haven't gotten your holiday gifts yet. It's okay. Go to hellonomad.com for the best cases, cords, battery packs, all sorts of good stuff, leather goods. Nomad is the bomb. And don't forget to put BGS in the discount code at the end. The show on the road is hosted by me, Zach Lupiton, and produced by the handsome Hawaiian Chris Jacobs with support from the Bluegrass Situation team. If you love the show on the road, please leave us a review or rating over at iTunes.com slash show on the road. Tell your friends and also be sure to check out BGS's ever-growing collection of podcasts up right now on the bluegrasssituation.com. The show on the road is a part of the BGS Podcast Network. This is Zach Lubiton. See you on the trail. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born, to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.